Thank you for joining us here at First Baptist Church of San Antonio, whether online or on broadcast, in your homes or wherever you may be. We want you to know that you are more than welcome to be a part of the life of this church. And we want you to know that we want you to meet Jesus today. In order for this to happen regularly, we need your support, we need your prayers, and we need your financial gifts. Please continue to give and be a part of what we do today. Good morning, everybody. That's a, that's a trip. Y'all need to do this sometime. That's, uh, that's great. Um, it is such a delight uh, to be with your kids on Sunday mornings. And I want you to know um, I love them so much, and they are a significant part of this church family and a part of our worship. And I want them to know that, gosh, God loves them and that they're worshipers and that we think they're pretty important people uh, right here in worship. Worship's not just for adults. Sermons aren't just for adults. Reading scripture's not just for the adults. And singing songs is not just for the adults. It's for all of us. It's also good to be with you uh, most of the time. I'm just kidding, all the time. It's always, always good to be with you too. Uh, we are in Job chapter 19. If you're new with us today, let me say first, so good that you have joined us in worship, walked through some unknown doors into unknown spaces among unknown people that you hopefully have met some so far. Hopefully you have felt incredibly welcomed into this space. Um, and uh, let me encourage you. We'd love to know that you're here with us. So two things. One, if you could let us know by going to fbcsa.org slash connect. You can do that on your device right now. It's a simple online form that you can just put your name or whatever. Let's us know that you're here with us. Um, also, um, after worship, I, I kind of hang out here for a few minutes. And if you're new with us today, I want to see your face, hear your name, greet you. Just a simple way for me to know that you're here with us and begin a friendship with you but we're really, really delighted that you're with us. But I say all that to also say we've been in Job uh, going on eight weeks now, and we're in Job chapter 19. In our church family, we do something that we call Reavers, uh, our Bible study groups, our worship times, and we encourage you uh, in your own private time with God and his word to literally be on the same page together. And so for the past eight weeks, um, we've been on the same page with one another in different texts throughout Job. What you hear and talk about in your Bible study group, you're also gonna hear about in the time of worship through the sermon. And hopefully, um, for many of you, you're reading at that throughout the week. It's a beautiful way that we as a church family can be together because we are better uh, together. 
Uh, But today we're in Job chapter 19. And if you're familiar with Job, even in the slightest bit, you, you have probably heard various things about Job throughout your life. And of course, if you've been tracking along with us, you know Job has experienced incredible suffering. Um, The adversary, uh, God has allowed Satan, the adversary, to test Job, to take everything away from Job. He's taken his health away. Uh, He's taken his family away. He's taken his possessions away. And Job is experiencing suffering that I would probably say all of us have not even come close to do. Some of you have tasted parts of Job's suffering and the loss of a loved one and health. Uh, But Job, all of that is is on his shoulders, all of that suffering he is facing now. And of course, Job has a lot of major questions uh, to ask to God, to his friends, about the nature of life. Job is convinced that he has done nothing wrong in order to deserve this suffering that has come his way. And they live in a world where they live by a simple worldview that when you do bad things, bad things happen. And when you do good things, um, God blesses you. And a very simple worldview. And in his mind, he's experiencing all this suffering and he can't understand why he is under the judgment of God when he cannot think of one single thing that he has done wrong in order to receive that kind of suffering. So he's angry, he's hurting, he has a lot of questions, he's complaining, and Job is filled with this back and forth between he and his friends talking about what is life really about, and can I really trust God if these kind of things are happening in my life? And then we find ourselves in Job 19, where Job expresses incredible loneliness, incredible loneliness. So I'm going to pray And then I want you to receive God's word. I'm gonna read verses one through 19. And then we're just gonna walk through this text and ask the question, where does this lead us when we consider loneliness as a part of the human experience and condition in our broken world? So let me pray and then I will read. Father, Lord, we pray that you help us to see you, to hear your voice, to see your son Jesus to follow him, to love him uh, in all of life. So we ask you to do that kind of needed work now in our life through your servant, Job. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Then Job spoke again. How long will you torture me? How long will you try to crush me with your words? You've already insulted me 10 times. You should be ashamed of treating me so badly. Even if I have sinned, that is my concern, not yours. You think you better, you're better than I am, using my humiliation as evidence of my sin? But it is God who has wronged me, capturing me in his net. I cry out help, but no one answers me. I protest, but there is no justice. God has blocked my way, so I cannot move. He has plunged my path into darkness. He has stripped me of my honor and removed the crown from my head. He has demolished me on every side, and I'm finished. He has uprooted my hope like a fallen tree. His fury burns against me. He counts me as an enemy. His troops advance. They build up roads to attack me. They camp all around my tent. My relatives 
stay far away, and my friends have turned against me. My family is gone, and my close friends have forgotten me. My servants and maids consider me a stranger, and I'm like a foreigner to them. When I call my servant, he doesn't come. I have to plead with him. My breath is repulsive to my wife. I'm rejected by my own family. Even young children despise me. When I stand to speak, they turn their backs on me. My close friends detest me. Those I loved have turned against me. In these first 19 verses, next week we'll finish the chapter, but in these first 19 verses, in an organized way, Job marches down those in his life who have abandoned him. And Job feels very strongly, doesn't he? Uh, He is going through excruciating suffering that has led to excruciating loneliness, uh, beginning with his own God, whom he had given his life to, and he feels very abandoned and captured and hemmed in by this God, whom he loves. And then his own closest friends, they haven't come to comfort him And even though they're near to him, the kind of things that they're saying to him leave him feeling excruciatingly alone. He's been abandoned by his friends. And then he marches down the list. I've been abandoned by my own servants, my own household. I've been abandoned by my own family. I can't even draw near to my wife. She's abandoned me. And in a culture where children would honor elders, not even children would give Job honor. They would turn their backs on him. Job is experiencing incredible loneliness. At every turn and at every angle, Job in his suffering feels incredibly alone. Have you ever felt alone? I see a lot of heads shaking, yeah. Have you ever felt alone? You know, we might not be able to identify with Job in the kind of suffering he experienced. Not many of us can. But most of us, if not all of us, can say, Danny, there have been seasons where I have felt alone. And and I know Without question, there are some in this room right now feel incredibly alone. Incredibly alone. Um, you know, there have been seasons in my life too. I, I remember, um, I, I mean, to be honest, I, I don't even come close to the kind of suffering that Job has experienced. Even in his loneliness, I, I have never felt that alone before. And, and, and I'm grateful for that blessing uh, in my life. I can think of, there was three days um, there was three days I was stranded in JFK Airport. Um, I felt kind of alone, even though I was around lots of people. I didn't know anybody, and all I had was hot dogs and books to read, um, which isn't a bad thing, right? I'm very grateful for the hot dogs and <laughs> slept on the floor. But nonetheless, I felt incredibly alone. But I also had an opportunity to think throughout this week of other people that I've known in my life that likely experienced incredible loneliness. One of those was my pastor in Belarus. When I was a freshman in high school, I lived in uh, Belarus. You've probably heard that nation in the news 
uh, recently, but I lived there for about a year, and my pastor was um, Brother Constantine, or Pastor Constantine. And what I know about Pastor Constantine, that uh, before uh, uh, Belarus became more of a democratic uh, nation, before it, um, while it was still very much a communist country, uh, Pastor Constantine was in jail for 17 years because he was a follower of Jesus. Can you imagine that? 17 years. And it made me wonder, um, odds are Pastor Constantine experienced incredible loneliness. Don't you imagine? Incredible loneliness. And for me, it began uh, to beg a question. How did, how did Pastor Constantine weather that as a follower of Jesus? But something else that also brought to my mind this week is that I think and maybe I'm wrong, but I, I kind of think that more than ever in human history, people now experience loneliness maybe more than they ever have before. I don't know. I, maybe this has been your experience too as you've looked at our culture and uh, the kind of worldview that our culture is teaching to us that um, you, know, you, you find your identity primarily in yourself and uh, we, we throw around words like you do you, which sounds noble in some ways, but in, uh, thinking even through that statement alone that our culture kind of throws at us, not, that possibly is the most lonely-inducing catchphrase and imperative that our culture throws our way because it leaves us mining ourselves for identity and purpose. Well, find within yourself and can I just remind you, we're, we're cracked cisterns. That's what the prophet Jeremiah, that's how he describes us, that our souls, our very person, because of the brokenness of sin in our life is like cracked cisterns. It cannot hold any water. And when we tell our young people, when the world tells our young people, you just do you, you find your own identity within yourself. Don't listen to anyone else or uh, at any external realities. You just mine for your purpose and identity in yourself. It leaves people feeling incredibly alone. Don't you think? And social media doesn't help at all. In a world that we're connected more than ever before, we are perhaps more lonely than ever before, more than any other time in human history. Maybe we can identify with Job more than ever. And even though we even experience the kind of suffering that he's experienced. So I feel like Job's conversation and Job's complaint is very important for us to contemplate along with him. How in the world, especially as followers of Jesus, when we find ourselves in a world that teaches us messages and worldviews that only amplifies loneliness, doesn't help loneliness, what do we do? How do we move from loneliness to fellowship? How do we move from loneliness to security and who God is and who we are as his children. What do we do? What does is, what is Brother Constantine, Pastor Constantine, for 17 years being removed from family and his church, being incredibly alone, what does he do? What do we do? So that's the question I want us to answer as we're thinking about Job's loneliness. And the places that it takes me and this is no surprise, it takes me to Jesus. Jesus experienced incredible 
loneliness. In fact, I would say Jesus, like Job, experienced excruciating loneliness, especially as he came to the cross. Uh, Matthew 26, verses 55 through uh, 56 um, it says this, then Jesus said to the crowd, am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there teaching every day, but this all happened to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in the scriptures. Look at this, at that point, not some, not a few, but all the disciples deserted him and fled alone. And what was the words that Jesus said on the cross right before he died? He said, repeating those words of David from Psalm 42 or 43, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knew what it's like to experience incredible loneliness. And that in and of itself is a comfort Right, We have a savior who died for the sins of the world. He, he took the penalty of my sin. Jesus knows what it's like to be alone. In fact, I would say Jesus knows excruciating loneliness so that we can know fellowship or so that we cannot be alone. But Jesus understands, even the writer of Hebrews says is that Jesus sympathizes with our weakness. Jesus sympathizes with your loneliness. Listen, if you're wrestling with loneliness right now, this message alone, Jesus sympathizes with you in your loneliness. He gets it. He gets it. Um, but, but not only does Jesus sympathize with our loneliness, Jesus had a lot of promises for those who follow Jesus, follow him, I mean, one of the greatest promises of Jesus is in Matthew 28, 20, right? After he gave that great commission, go and make disciples on all the earth, he said at the very end, and even to the end of the age, I will be with you. One of the greatest promises is Jesus says, listen, if you follow me and if you're part of my work and my kingdom, I, I'm not going anywhere. I, am, I will never leave you. In fact, he says to his disciples before he goes to the cross, listen, you're gonna face all kinds of trouble and heartache and loneliness in this world. He doesn't say that, I just added that. Um, but he says, listen, I will never leave you or forsake you. What a promise that we have from Jesus. So not only do we have a savior who gets it, who understands your loneliness, but we also have these incredible promises from Jesus that I will be with you to the very end of the age. I will never leave you or forsake you. In John chapter 14 and also John chapter 16, you can go ahead and start turning there. That's where I'm headed. But Jesus is beginning to forecast to these men that he has loved and lived with for the past three years. He's beginning to forecast for them, really soon, I'm about to go away from you. And so Jesus is introducing them to his Holy Spirit because it is his Holy Spirit that will make them not alone during his absence, right? And so in John chapter 14, let me read just a few of these 
verses, John 14, verses 23 through 26. Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Pretty profound. That the Father and Son will make their home with those who listen and love and obey Jesus. Verse 24, anyway, anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me, and remember my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. Verse 25, I'm telling you these things now while I am still with you. Verse 26, but when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. What is Jesus saying to his disciples? Listen, I'm about to go, uh, but I'm not gonna leave you alone. In fact, we're gonna make the Father and I are gonna make our home with you. How is the Father gonna make his, and the Son gonna make his home with you through the power of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit in us, in his disciples, and the Spirit will do a special thing, help helping them to see Jesus. In fact, he'll also say, listen, I'm gonna go and the world will not see me, but you'll see me, how? Because of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit performs this incredible function of bringing to remembrance all that Jesus has said and all that he has done. So much though that eventually these guys are gonna be writing a lot of it down, which is forecasting the New Testament for us. But here is the point. How in the world does Jesus fulfill that promise that I will never leave you or forsake you, that I will be with you to the very end of the age, that you will not be alone through my word to you by the power of God's spirit. That's the promise and that's how it's fulfilled in our life. And so have you ever considered that maybe one of the reasons that God left us a very tangible word from the Old Testament to the New Testament, that through the power of the spirit of God, you would have fellowship with him and not be alone. That you would know that that Jesus is good on his word, that he will never leave you or forsake you. Maybe God has given us his word and that through the power of the spirit of God, we can see Christ. And the more you read it, folks, this isn't a mirage. Uh, this isn't some myth. The word of God testifies to a real Jesus, son of God, who died for the sins of the world and rose victorious over sin and death so that we could have forgiveness and everlasting life and have real purpose in life, not the mirage that the world feeds us. Listen, and the more, perhaps the more we draw near to Christ in his word by the power of the spirit, the more real it becomes to us. And the world would have us believe you have so much more time for so many other things. Think that's a strategy? Believe the mirage, believe the mirage, believe the mirage. And Jesus says, believe me. You wanna know how you see me? Through the power of the spirit of God, I give you my word. Draw near, near to me and I will draw near to you is the promise. Do you ever read old texts from people you care about? Yes, thank you. 
Do you ever read old letters and notes? Listen, when I used to travel a lot, um, you know, your, your kids and your family sends you texts. Um, and you just don't read them once. I go back. At the end of the day, when I had some time, I would go back and read old texts. Why? Because I wanted to muse on the reality and joy that I have in my family. How much more powerful is it that when we come to the word of God and the promise of God is that through my spirit you will see the Son? that we are called back to his word so that we can see and touch the reality of Jesus and the fulfillment of his promise that I will never leave you or forsake you. That's not the only place that we can go to find assurances of Jesus's fulfillment of that promise that in our deep loneliness that we can find fellowship with him through his word, through the power of the spirit of God, but also through Remembering his church. Folks, we're better together, better together. And one of the ways we are better together is in our loneliness. Even loneliness that can be caused by our own sin. That, that's, that's the nature of sin, folks. Sin separates. It, the, fruit, the fruit of sin is loneliness that eventually leads into death. There's nothing more lonely than death. That's why death, that's why death is not the hero, it's the enemy. Oh, death, where is your victory or where is your sting? Because in death, there is incredible loneliness. But sin, even as believers, has a tendency to kind of pull us apart, right? It separates. But we're better together, and one of those ways that we're better together as this church is even in our loneliness, even loneliness that can be caused by our own Sin um, In Romans chapter 12, um, uh, Paul has some really awesome things to say to the church, about the church. What does he say? So uh, Paul will describe the church kind of like a body, how body parts are all connected together. He'll use the same kind of language. Um, he'll use the same kind of language here. Uh, but in verses four and five, uh, just as your body have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and listen to this, and we all belong to each other. I love that. We all belong to each other. And then if you jump down to verses nine through 13, don't just pretend to love others. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble, keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Paul is talking about what does the church do when we we wrestle in this world and experience incredible loneliness. Well, we love each other. We, we practice hospitality. We, we belong to one another. And those who, who, are near, uh, who are in need, we draw near to them. Um, we have some really kind of cool stories uh, in Acts and then, of course, through Paul's testimony. Both of those guys 
were in prison. But it's a, a beautiful little story. You remember Peter, uh, he's being persecuted because obviously he's a follower of Jesus and he's preaching the temple court and all that stuff. Well, they, they throw him in prison. Herod throws him in prison. And we have this group of believers, the church, who are in this house. And what are they doing? They are, they're praying for Peter. They're praying for Peter. The church is praying for Peter while he is incredibly alone. He's been pulled away from the church. He's in this jail cell by himself, and we have the church praying. They were, even though they couldn't be with him physically, they had drawn near to him at his point of need. And then we have the story, we have the story of Paul where he's talking about his own imprisonment. And he starts describing to the Philippians, this is in Philippians, and he says, listen, you've, you've shown great concern for me while I've been in prison. In fact, you've gone out of your way to try to meet my needs. You've sent stuff to me. I don't know what they sent, probably some you know, cans of food or something. I don't know. Certainly not cans of food. Um, they didn't have cans of food back then, by the way. Maybe jars, might have jars. But uh, regardless, they went out of the way to meet meet Paul's need. And, and, and Paul describes that in Philippians chapter four, verses 10, and then 15 through 17. You can go read that on your own. But the point is, both of these men had been pulled away from fellowship with believers. They were in prison. They were alone. And the church did what it was by design intended to do, which was to draw near to them as best they can to meet a need in their loneliness. That's what the church does. And when we draw near to one another in our need, when we love others, we experience Christ. They experience Christ in us. First John chapter four, verses 10 through 12. Listen to these verses. First John, 10, First John four, verses 10 through 12. This is real love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. That, that's the standard of love there. Verse 11, dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. Now, no one has ever seen God. This is verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. And the Apostle John is, is talking about the function of the church and how we love one another. And he says something extraordinary. Now, no one has ever laid their eyes on God. But when God's love is at work in us, people get a good look at him. When we love other people, people see Christ in us. They experience Christ in us. How do we help people who are in moments of loneliness? We draw near to them, love them, so that they can know the presence of Christ. We have the presence of Christ in his word to us by the power of the Spirit of God, and we have the presence of God in his church as we draw near and love others. And love others. We're not alone. 
We are not alone. That's, that's the message of Christ to us. You are not alone. I, I, I went through excru- excruciating loneliness on the cross, was forsaken by my Father, took upon the sins of the world, and rose victorious over sin and death so that you may not be alone. And so we draw near to him in his word by the power of the Spirit of God. We connect with the body of Christ. We love and serve one another to engage and encounter the presence of Christ in us, to never be alone. Even when we are physically alone, we never have to be alone, which is the promise of the gospel to us. Um, This is... The reality is, as I said at the beginning, the outset of this sermon, is that I still know that there are many of you that experience incredible loneliness, and maybe in some ways it's debilitating. Uh, You feel shackled by your own loneliness. Can you just receive the promises of God today? Um, uh, One... Uh, Christ has drawn near to you Uh, in the life that he lived without sin and his death and resurrection. He has made a way for you to know restored fellowship with the one who created you and knows you and loves you more than anything else. Uh, Will you know the presence of Christ through faith in him today? Um, And his church Will you know the presence of Christ through his church? Will you be committed to being a part of a group of people that will love you and you love in return? Will you, will you know the presence of Christ in his, and through his church? Um, this also is a moment when we can be incredibly, and I mean this with as much compassion and grace as possible. So just just receive this from your pastor this morning. In moments of loneliness, we also can lean towards incredible self-absorption. No one's concerned about me. No one really cares for me in the same way that those that church cared about Peter when he was in prison. I feel like I'm in prison. I don't feel like anyone really cares about me. Can, um, can I ask you to flip that question or those statements? Um, rather than focusing on, I don't feel like someone is caring about me or is concerned about me and my loneliness, would you ask a different question? Would you ask this how can I show my concern for this person? How can I care for this person? Um, in marriage ministry, uh, this is something that we say all the time to couples, whether, uh, whether they're going through tough stuff or not. But we, we, we always tell them, really, the, the, the way to move towards health in marriage is to primarily begin to ask those questions about yourself. Am I showing concern for others? Uh, Am I going out of my way to care for others? 
And so this morning, if you're in a place of where you're feeling incredibly alone, can I encourage you, one, trust the promises that we have in Jesus by the power of the Spirit of God. Go to his word. Uh, 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 trust that the presence of Christ is at work through his church, but also begin to ask the question, am I showing concern and care for blank? And so today, not just for the person experiencing loneliness, let me ask you that question. Is there a person in your life, in your sphere, uh, in your area that you know is in need of your concern and care? Will you go meet that concern and care? Will you draw near to them, perhaps in their loneliness, rather than waiting on someone to meet yours? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for um, just Job uh, and him just expressing his deepest needs. Uh, Lord, because we get that in part, all of us have tasted loneliness. Um, but Lord, help us to trust that you've made a way for us now in fullness uh, when, when, you, when your son returns. But even now, we can know the presence of your son through his word and through your word. And we can know the presence of your son through your church. But Lord, we pray and ask you by the power of your spirit that you would move us towards concern and care for the other. To move us beyond possible self-absorption, like no one cares about me. Help us to move beyond that to say, well, I'm not gonna wait. I'm gonna move and care for this person. Lord, I pray you give us that name. For every person in this room, give us a name of a person that needs us to care for, to draw near to, to be concerned about. Help us to act and move towards them. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people say.